Hello, this is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women Podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. Today's guests are two incredible and fascinating women, and many of you in the martial art world are aware of them and their contributions as martial art women. They currently host the very popular Dynamic Dojo Talk TV Martial Arts Podcast. In many ways, they represent yin and yang in their practice and styles, from kickboxing to tai chi and a few others in between. I'm thrilled to have my longtime social media friend, Rostita De Jesus, to the show. Rostita was born and raised in Seattle, Washington, and began her martial arts study in 1978. She currently holds certifications in karate, Eskrima, Kali, Filipino arts, Wushu, Tai Chi, and others. She is a former three-time USA WKF national champion and a world champion and Tai Chi forms competitor. She owns Seattle Wushu Center and teaches with my other guest today, Kathy Long. As many of you know, Kathy Long is a retired kickboxer, boxer, mixed martial arts fighter, and actress. She was raised in California and has trained in Aikido, Kung Fu, Kali, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and so much more. Kathy attained Omega five world champion titles in her kickboxing career. Her film career includes The Stranger, Knights, Under the Gun, Art of Submission, Santa's Summerhouse, and more. As mentioned earlier, she currently teaches and resides in Seattle and co-hosts the Dynamic Dojo radio podcast. Before we get started, let's regroup on the mission and purpose of the podcast. The mission of the podcast is to celebrate and highlight martial art women and their stories. If you need more inspiration, pick up one of my books, The Martial Arts Woman, or Martial Art Inspirations for Everyone, available on Amazon, or contact me if you like signed copies. Now, without any further delay, let's get to my very exciting interview with Rustida De Jesus and Kathy Long. Hi, Rustida and Kathy. Welcome to the show. First of all, thank you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> thank you guys so much. I say guys, but girls, whatever. Thank you so much for your amazing contributions as martial art women and martial art role models. Um, both of you pave a way. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so happy. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so happy you're both here. Absolutely. Been wanting to talk to both so of you we. forever. So glad this is working out. Um, and you guys, yeah. you guys do so much in martial arts. And you both built a career and a lifestyle based on martial arts. So that's why this is so important for other women to hear and so important for us to share. Um, so prior to us talking I already pre-recorded all about your background achievements and that'll be part of our podcast but today I want to talk to you about your experiences and your thoughts as martial art women and why you began your martial art journey and all that kind of stuff so Rosita I'm going to start with you yes I'm going to start with you hey okay lucky number one um (laughs) (laughs) you uh wrote a chapter in my book the martial arts woman And you talked about why you began martial arts. And I thought it was really interesting because you said there were three reasons why you wanted to learn martial arts. 
Uh, you talked about your great grandfather, mm-hmm. your fighting spirit, and of course, Kung Fu TV. So um, can you mm-hmm. elaborate? Tell us a little bit about that and why they were so important to you and your formation of martial art training. Well, first of all, thank you for having us on. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here on the Martial Arts Woman podcast. Um, in regards to the reasons where I, why I wanted to learn martial arts, when I was growing up, ever since I was a little girl, my father told my sister and I stories of our great-grandfather, Santiago Toledo, who was a famous uh, Filipino martial arts master in the Philippines. He did uh, Escrima and Arnis. And uh, he's, he was well-known enough to have a style of Escrima and Kali named after him, uh, the Toledo style. And, uh, and later on, it became known as the Toledo Colado star- style, which was a collaboration. But um, these stories, they sounded like something out of a movie, and <laughs> such as uh, they used to say that, uh, he, he said that old timers used to say that his anting anting was very strong. So I guess I should back up and let all the listeners know what anting yeah, anting yeah. is for people that, that yeah. Uh, anting anting is a, for lack of a better term, I guess I can use the word belief, superstition mm-hmm. uh, type of thing. Um, and the anting anting is kind of is kind of uh, almost related to what we would know as chi or ki. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, however, the anting anting um, um, at that time was known as a, a type of like a, a protective barrier, a protective energy. And that anting anting could be in the form of an amulet that you wear around your neck, uh, a tattoo that is tattooed on your body, uh, a specific mantra that, that invokes the protection when you say it, um, or, you know, something as, uh, uh, or something as simple as just the intention. So my great grandfather used to have an amulet that was that was given to him by uh, a healer mm-hmm. and a seer. So you know, it, since he believed in the anting anting, it worked. And and in all, almost all of the the duels that he fought, some of them to the death, he won. Mm-hmm. And he credit credited it to his anting anting to his protection. Wow. Um, so he would, uh, so we would hear these stories about just fantastical stories about his anting anting, his duels, um, you know, his power. You know, there there would be stories about he was so powerful he could ride his horse to the top of a coconut tree. <laughs> you know, funny. stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is funny. You know, and I and you know later on, I when I got old enough, I started to wonder with, with these, with the people that saw him ride at the top of a coconut tree, were they coming out of the bar at the time? Right. Did they have a cu- couple, too many cups of that rice wine. Yeah, a couple um, of coconuts in the head his, or what. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, regardless of the stories and the legends that were told about Santiago Toledo, um, his martial art um, was a, uh, powerful enough and good enough to, to be considered a style that was recognized by many people, even by Dan Inosanto himself. However, uh, when the last of his students passed away, 
the art died. Mm -hmm. It's, it's no longer being practiced. Um, and my father had learned a little bit of it, but it wasn't like the whole system. So, um, a part of me wants to like still, still continue that legacy in a sense. Um, even though I'm teaching a different style of Kali and Eskrima, um, I'd like to think that I'm continuing along the family line mm -hmm. in right. that aspect. Yeah, that's important. It's um, important to have that mm -hmm. sense of lineage and family tradition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to this day, I'm still trying to find somehow, some way, something, some tie, you know, to the art, even if it's just the basics. Um, because, you know, I've heard that, that long forgotten fencing styles from Europe have been revived by finding ancient texts and interpreting them the best, mm. uh, uh, the best that a translator could and the style revives. And, and I figure, you know, if I can find some tie to even the basics, you know, maybe I could at least revive some of that. Um, but that's, that's uh, one of the big reasons why I wanted to learn martial arts. I wanted, um, I wanted, in a sense, as a little girl, I wanted that anting anting. I wanted that sense of protection yeah. for myself, you know. Um, and, then, uh, and then, of course, the Kung Fu TV series from the mm -hmm. 1970s. Mm -hmm. when, um, when I saw the, uh, the TV series, even as a little girl, I, I understood the philosophy behind it. Um, and I found it very intriguing, very interesting. And I wanted, I wanted that somehow. But at that time, I had no idea that there was any Kung Fu in the city of Seattle, much less karate. Um, at the time there was, it's just that I didn't know. And my parents didn't know that there was any Kung Fu at all. <clears throat> so uh, when I did get the chance to enroll in karate lessons in 1978, I mom, can I do mm -hmm. it? Yeah. <laughs> so, and she enrolled us, enrolled us in that. Um, and, and the other reason uh, that you mentioned earlier was um, the sense of tenacity, the fighting spirit, yes. so to speak, because um, I was born prematurely. I was born three months wow, premature. Wow, that's a long time. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. in 1966, um, it, yeah, the, the mortality rate was pretty high. For, for kids that were even one month premature or two months premature. Um, but I happened to just, I guess, kick my way through at six months. And luckily for me, um, the major hospital here in Seattle, um, uh, the University of Washington Hospital, they had just built a preemie ward with all the latest newfangled technology for that time. So... I was airlifted from the suburban hospital where I was born and airlifted to the University of Washington where they hooked me up to all sorts of high-tech computers and um, incubators and, and stuff like that, stuff that, that wasn't in the United States yet at the time. Now you see all of the you know, same stuff and even more technologically advanced um, equipment. Uh, but at that time, University of Washington Hospital was it. So luckily, they pulled me through. And I guess I decided to pull through. Mm, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, but my parents were 
they were very, very close to giving up hope because there were three other babies in the same large incubator and they were like a month and two months premature and they passed. So they were pretty much, they kind of threw their hands up and just waited and prayed and just went, Oh gosh, is she going to go too? But uh, I just held on and kept stable and I was in the hospital for the next three or four months to correct uh, uh, lung anomalies and heart anomalies and stuff like that. And, and yay, yay. healthy as a horse now. That is absolutely <laughs> a true fighting spirit. And that explains a lot about mm-hmm. who you are today, really. When you think about it, it's that fighting spirit that you've carried on through who you are today and mm-hmm. through martial arts. So that is so cool. Thank you for sharing that background with us, because I think everybody has a great story to tell. And it's not until those stories are told that people realize how fascinating martial art women are. So yay. Um, Yes. Very, very cool. So we're going to switch over to Kathy for a minute. I know you guys have nicknames, right? Rustita, you actually go by Rusty a lot. And Kathy goes by Uh Kat. So I don't know what I'm going to call you in this podcast, but I'm going to call you one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. We'll answer to it. (laughs) Anyway, I'll say Kathy. Um, Kathy, first of all, it's really a pleasure to meet you. Uh, We've never met in person. I've never met Rustita in person either, but we've talked a lot in the past. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really happy to have you on the show today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. It's great to meet you too. Thank you for Um, being here. Um, and I have Yay. a bunch of questions for you, Kathy, okay. because um, everybody knows who you are. You are known as a fighter and as an actress. Um, so I thought maybe you could tell me a little bit about why you got involved in martial arts in the first place. And then what drew you to be um, a fighter? Well, I, I was in freshman year in high school and a friend of mine, I was 14, a friend of mine invited me to her Aikido class and I thought, okay, that sounds fun and interesting. And I lived, I lived uh, in Moreno Valley, which is in uh, the trailer park that I lived in was literally right next to the West gate of March Air Force Base where the classes were being held. So because she was, um, her father was in the military or in the Air Force we got to go on to the base and uh, I joined the class and I think I was really taken by the instructor, his, his big, big giant of a guy um, named Ron Granville, who was just like a, a, a gentle giant, a gentle Buddha mm-hmm. kind of person. And because I didn't have very much family structure at home, um, it was more like a dictatorship and I mean that literally. Uh, okay. so it wasn't. It wasn't a great atmosphere at home. I mean, kids were seen but not heard, and you know, it was just one of those situations where I kind of felt like, you know, I was living there, but I, I really didn't have parents because they were never. There was no affection. Mm-hmm. There was uh, certainly punishment, but certainly, but no affection and no family structure to, to speak of. And I think the reason I really fell in love with martial arts is because of that first instructor. Um, He was just such a gentle guy and, and had a wonderful family atmosphere in the school and everybody there, I, I quickly became close friends with because 
of the nurturing and the kindness that he displayed. And that's what really kept me in the martial arts. Um, I wasn't so much, you know, I mean, I, I, I studied Aikido up until I got my Shodan, but, um, and then I moved. So I, I would have, st I would have stayed longer, but I loved it so much that I would, I found a way to sneak on to March Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. Every, every team, every day there was class. I snuck on base. I crawled through a ravine. Oh my god! <laughs> until I could put my head up and look she at was the a, west gate and like, okay, they're not looking. She was at a me. ninja too. Yeah, there you go. There's this is you know? ninjas. This is how the ninjas. <laughs> You're a ninja. That was so much. I wanted to go and and be in that atmosphere, yeah. be in that environment, and and train with everybody. And I was the first one there. I got there before everybody else. I cleaned up the place. And I would, you know, just fart around on on some of the uh, mm -hmm. exercise equipment that was uh, next to the to the big matted area, mm. and I would be the last one to leave. And again, I would clean up the place and mm. and then yeah. you know, walk home, crawl through a ravine and go through a ditch and <laughs> climb up the other side. And... <laughs> so yeah, so a lot of agility work just to get there and back. You know, be very <laughs> stealth like, <laughs> very stealth like. But from there, cool. I I went on to studying other martial arts and and um, you know, I just I think what I really liked about it was the family structure yeah. that it provided. No matter yeah. where you go, no matter what martial arts you study, you say you do martial arts, you go to another martial arts school, you are literally part of the family. You may be a distant cousin; it doesn't matter. Right. You're part of the family. Yeah, it is. A, it is a home away from home for a lot of people, especially kids. Uh, there are a lot of kids in tough situations and they find martial arts really great because not just of the training, but that atmosphere where they feel appreciated and they feel like they can improve and be somebody. So I can definitely sure. understand it. So what drew you from that into the fighting realm, the kickboxing and the boxing and, and whatnot. Hmm. Well, I was already a black belt in Kung Fu Sansu and Aikido mm -hmm. and had, I'd been dabbled in um, Kali and JKD and Wing Chun, but I would go to tournaments to compete in forms. And there was this girl there who constantly asked me to compete against her in point fighting. And I had, I mean, I, watching the point fighting, in my opinion of it, was just a glorified game of tag. And I thought, um, no, you want to fight? Let's go all back. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do this point fighting stuff because I didn't see the value in it at the time. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That was my attitude toward it. And finally, one day, her karate instructor called my Kung Fu instructor, who was also my boyfriend at the time, and asked if I'd be willing to do an exhibition kickboxing bout um, against, against the girl who had kept challenging me to do point fighting against her. So we talked about it, and I said, well, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Because in Kung Fu Sansu, you know, there's no competing in a tournament with it. You stick the fingers in the eye, you stomp on the knee, you crush the testicles, mm -hmm. hit them in the windpipe, 
you end the fight as quickly as humanly possible and, and get out of it. So I said, what am I allowed to do? <laughs> and well, you wear gloves and you're allowed to punch her and kick her as hard as you want to. And I said, really, as hard as I want to? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I took 10 whole days to learn how to do kickboxing. Wow. And uh, after 10 days, I stepped in the ring with her and, and I was scared to death. This girl weighed 190 pounds and I weighed 120. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. She was built like a short refrigerator, basically. <laughs> 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 she was just a tiny bit. Uh, no, I think she was a little shorter than me. But um, the funny thing was, I was so scared that as soon as she'd get near me, I just hit her as hard as I could and as yeah. fast as I possibly could because I was scared. <laughs> and, and I remember at one point I grabbed her in a headlock and I'm punching her uppercuts in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> the bell would ring and she'd sit down in the corner for the minute rest and I'd get up in the middle of the ring and I'd go, What are you doing sitting down? What are you chicken? You standing? Come on, get up. You need to sit down. And the whole time inside I'm shaking and thinking, Oh my God, yeah. what am I gonna do? <laughs> well, that is a great story because I think you got to learn how to be a, a kickboxer that day. <laughs> I I really discovered a um a love for challenging myself. Yeah. And you know, uh, pitting myself against, you know, what seems like you know, unbelievable odds. And I, there's something about the adrenaline rush of that that just is is like nothing else. Yeah, I can imagine. I've never done it, but I can imagine <laughs> just hearing your story. Um Yeah, but yeah, that's I why mean, yeah, go ahead. Jumped out of planes and cliff dived and hang glided and you name it. Yeah. It's that that spirit within you that you really want to just challenge yourself and, and try all these things. So I think that's how people find success. That's where you find success is from pushing yourself to challenge yourself and try new things. So I'm sure that's why you have so much success in these areas. Did being a woman fighter, like as you got more proficient and you know famous from your kickboxing and um, being a woman fighter did that present obstacles to you or opportunities you know did people look at you in a certain way and um, think you shouldn't be doing that or were you I know you ended up doing movies so I'm suspecting that it created some opportunities for you as well but well where do you fall in I there Going into the sport um, in the beginning, because there were very few women doing it, it was more like a novelty. Mm-hmm. And all my sparring partners were men, all of them. I, I had no women to spar with. And, you know, I didn't even think about the concept of sparring with other women to prepare to, to fight other women. Um, instead, I sparred with men because that's who was there. And they were always, all, all of the people I sparred with were far more experienced than I was. They had spent years involved in it and were, you know, on the edge of winning world titles and U.S. titles and things like that. And so those were my sparring partners who were happily happy to beat the crap out of me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, there was a, over the years, there was, you know, we'd go to different places for me to spar because you can't 
just spar with one person all the time. You won't grow. Yeah. Um, you, you, because you need to constantly challenge yourself and see what your weaknesses are and be able to build upon them and, and not just rely on whatever strength you have and think that that's going to be enough because usually it isn't. Um, right, right. So I was constantly challenged and I'm, I faced many broken bones, black eyes, fat lips, um, torn muscles, you name it, you name it, I had it. Um, it, it happened to me, but it was primarily because of my sparring partners. Seldom did I injure myself in, a, in an actual fight against a girl, but by the time I got in the ring with someone my size and my weight and a female, uh-huh. I felt like, yeah, th- I, there's nothing you can hit me with that I haven't been hit with before, and they just don't hit it as hard as guys do. Right. As a general rule. Not always. I mean, there are there were a couple of opponents that I had that who hit like a freaking mule. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's. I mean, that's cool. It's you had an interesting beginning and and how you got into fighting and then how you carried it through and it's really a lot of perseverance, obviously, and and a lot of following your your own personal challenges. So I think that's awesome, and I really commend you. And I know that so many people are inspired by what you've done in your career and your, and your fighting career and your martial arts. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today. So let me kick it back to Rastita for, for a minute. And since this is my little tag team, my first tag team podcast interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Rastita, a.k.a. Rusty, um, you mm-hmm. sustained some pretty serious injuries in the past. And I think those injuries led you to your Tai Chi practice. And I mean, today you hold a lot of titles in, in Tai Chi and competitions so how did this practice help you overcome your injuries and and bring you to where you are today in your martial art that's a that's a Mm -hmm. great question it's it's funny because when I was younger in karate my karate instructor used to use tai chi as part of the warm-ups and of course you know I was heavy into point sparring at that time (laughs) (laughs) and and, you know, I, I at the time didn't see the value of Tai Chi at that time. I was just, come on, can we put on our gear and fight? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but we would do it because it would, you know, help stretch us out and, you know, get us, uh, get us into the right mindset. Um, and then as I, as I got into studying Wushu with uh, my teacher, Yi Jiao Hong, Tai Chi was part of the whole curriculum that we had to do for the teacher training during that three-year teacher training. So um, I had to go back to my Tai Chi, my limited Tai Chi experience as, as a kid and, and draw on that to learn the actual style of Tai Chi. At that time, it was Yang-style Tai Chi. And then I later on got into Chen style. But, um, and... Still, at that time, I was uh, in my late 20s, and uh, while I found Tai Chi to be very elegant and uh, very beautiful, I was still in that fast wushu phase mm-hmm. in my, you know, in my career. You know, I, uh, my 
my specialties at that time were spear and nanquen or southern style wushu at that time and i competed heavily mm, right. in uh, the southern style whereas the tai chi was i considered a secondary thing that i taught at my own martial arts studio um but it wasn't the major um art that i studied at that time well in 2000 2000 yeah i believe it was in the year 2000 um i sustained um a really big injury i injured my back and at that time i didn't know that it was very serious because i'd taken falls on concrete for years i had you know i had broken my elbows dislocated my shoulders you know black eyes and you know pulled pulled muscles you know ripped a you know hamstring you know from my uh, almost ripped a hamstring from my where it attaches into your butt mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I'll get through this. Um, but several days later, after I injured my back, and uh, I injured it through a fall, I actually did a demonstration, um, and I did a movement where you have to fall, and I fell weird, and uh, I guess that injured my back. But a couple days after the injury, I realized that my whole body felt like pins and needles, and it was it was a 24 seven kind of a pins and needles, mm-hmm. that same, that same um, uh, feeling you get when, when your leg goes to sleep and it starts to come back and you get that awful pins and needles and you think, gosh, I, I can't wait till this goes away. Well, in my case, it never went away. And the, this neuropathy was in my hands. It was in my feet. Uh, it was, uh, believe it or not, in my neck and in my head. So my scalp wow. had the pins and needles as Crazy. well. And yeah, it was, it was nuts. So I thought that it was sciatica. So I saw my chiropractor and after about a week of daily adjustments and seeing no improvement, he asked me, do you have insurance? Because I think you need to see a specialist. And I said, yeah, you know, luckily at the time I still had insurance. So I saw a um, neurologist and the neurologist took every test you can think of. I even, um, I even had a spinal tap to check if there were, you know, uh, any anomalies in my spine that way. They checked for every, they did strength tests. They checked everything from um, tumors to um, multiple sclerosis to everything. And they couldn't find anything wrong at that time. And at that time I was still in pain, this constant pain. Um, And there was, uh, there was, I forgot to mention, there was a point where the neuropathy turned into where I couldn't feel my fingers. So I would have the tingling, but I wouldn't be able to feel my feet, nor would I be able to feel my hands. So I would stumble a lot because I, you know, trip over my shoes or something. Um, I drop coffee mugs and anything I held, I would drop because I couldn't feel it. Um, and the pain was so horrendous. I, there, there would be times I would just lay in bed at night, just crying, hoping that it would go away because I couldn't function like that. But anyway, fast forward a few weeks to the neurologist 
after taking all the tests and MRIs and CAT scans, even though they couldn't find anything wrong as far as, um, you know, like broken back or tumors on my spine, what the neurologist surmised from the scans was that I subluxated my spine bad enough to bruise my spinal mm, cord, wow. but not to sever it. So it was basically a, con a bad concussion um, to my spinal cord. And so I asked my doctor, I said, I asked, well, how long will this kind of healing take? And she said, well, there's a lot of nerve damage from what we can see. So it can take anywhere from one year to three years for you to Jeez. recover completely. Wow. Long time. And yeah. yeah. And I looked at her and I went, what? Three, what? So at that point I said, okay, well, I just got to muddle through this. And at that time, my Wushu instructor took me aside and said, Rusty, this is where you need the Tai Chi. No more Wushu for now, because if you do anything wrong again, you might be in a wheelchair. So you have to concentrate on your Tai Chi. So, um, and I did. And it allowed me to really connect to how I place my foot on the floor, where I put my hands, and to really be in each moment. And I found about like maybe three months into my dedicated practice of Tai Chi that I wasn't tripping as much, mm. that I wasn't dropping my coffee mug all that much because I was actually connecting my hand to, to the coffee mug and being aware that it was there and learning how much pressure to put on it to keep it there, even though I couldn't feel it, yeah. right? Um, and I also saw an acupuncturist for, for about six months, um, took Chinese herbs that were prescribed to me by the, by the acupuncturist. And slowly but surely, the pain started to slowly uh, dwindle. It started to get a little bit better. I felt my energy pick up a little bit, tiny bit every day. And about two, two and a half years later, I literally woke up one morning and picked up my coffee mug and realized I could feel it. <laughs> yay! <laughs> and yay, I know, right? Oh, man. So, you know, yeah. And I was like going through the house because I was living with my mom at the time. Mom, mom, I can feel my coffee mug. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and she's like, what? You can feel it? And yeah, so it was, you know, it was something, you know, so simple. I can feel my coffee mug. But after going through two years of basically yeah, some little kind of handicap, I couldn't feel mm -hmm. anything. I couldn't feel my feet. I had to literally teach myself how to align my feet to walk again through Tai Chi. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, you know, now every time, every morning, every time I pick up a cup of coffee, carefully i go okay i can yeah this. yeah and this is awesome that's so cool <laughs> that yeah yeah I mean, that's the, and then yeah the healing powers i guess you would say of martial arts that you know mm -hmm. you can really apply them to the difficult situations in your life the, the physical the mental whatever it might be uh, in your case you you yes. really utilize them to help you improve and that's really inspiring story kathy um you've been in several movies and 
uh, I've mentioned them in the beginning of the podcast that you haven't heard yet, but I've talked about them. Um, but tell me a little bit about your experiences as an actress, because everybody wants to be in a movie. We've all at one moment in our lives thought being in a movie would be so cool. What are your experiences <laughs> like? And did you have to modify a lot of your karate and your movements and your all the different things that you know in order to uh, do those movies and work with partners in those movies? Well, I'll tell you, um, like Rusty, growing up, I was painfully shy. Mm. And getting into films was the absolute last thing I ever wanted to do, ever. Ah, how interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of, oddly enough, it was kind of plopped in my lap. Um, after my last world title fight, I was approached by Albert Pune, who is the director of films, low, mm -hmm. lower budget films, martial arts films especially, um, and he asked if I'd be willing to um, star in his film. And I said, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to ask anything about it. Uh, he goes, no, no, really. I think, I think you would be amazing in this film. I really want you to do it. Can you just, would you consider just reading with the producer? Just do a small reading. And I said, but I don't know how to act. I don't know. He goes, you're going to be just fine. Don't worry. So what I did not know was that he was talking to the producer and he was saying to the producer, no, really, I think she's going to be great because he kept saying, no, she's a martial artist. She's a kickboxer. What does she know about acting? <laughs> saying, well, would you be willing to just do one reading with her? <laughs> so Yeah, that's great. And I, he actually sent me to somebody to do um, a couple of acting lessons who ended up, you know, just being this phenomenal uh, longtime friend. I'm still super good friends with her. And she was a, she's a, uh, has acted in so many different TV shows and films and all kinds of things. But um, anyway, I ended up doing a reading with the producer and he said, well, okay, you got the job if you want it. And I looked at him and said, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, then. I had no idea what that meant. No clue. Yeah. That's awesome. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I have to say, you know, doing film work is just wildly, uh, it's, it really taps into my creativity only because as an artist first, I like when I worked on Batman Returns and I was Michelle Pfeiffer's fight double, I, I walked into a completely empty soundstage, which is ginormous. And within a few months, there was an entire city that was built mm. in that soundstage with working lights and, and everything, everything you can imagine that a city would look like. It was there inside the soundstage. What an incredible experience to just see that and, and watch it, you know, being built. That's like that's an artist. So cool. It was really amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think that that's what we all think and hope that it's like, you know, that it's this amazing experience uh, that you get to use your creativity and whatnot. And I'm glad it pushed you past your, your shyness. It sure. did. Um, yeah. Many, many occasions when I felt uncomfortable because I knew there was a camera there, but mm -hmm. after a while, like everything else, you kind of get, 
used to it and you can even forget it's there. Yeah. Sometimes. Very cool. Very cool. I got to talk to an actress today. La di da da. What about you? <laughs> there you go. Um, if you could each, oh cool. Yeah, if you could each give maybe a minute, um, just some kind of advice to the martial art women out there. Some kind of inspiring advice about either starting a martial art or persevering and pushing through. If you, you know, Rostito, why don't we start with you, and maybe you can give some little inspiring information to the women who are listening out there today. Okay. Well, what I'd like to tell women and girls that are interested in taking up a martial art is to not listen to the stereotypes of what martial arts is. Because, you know, even when I was a child, karate is for boys, martial fighting is for guys, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I mean, think about it, you know, being women, not saying that we're, that it's, we're the weaker mm -hmm. sex, but being women, we tend to be targeted a bit more than the men and what better people to learn self-defense, self-discipline, the martial arts. So for the women and girls, yeah. um, teenage girls and younger girls, if you want to get into a martial art, do it. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let the boys tell you that, you know, it's, oh, you're trying to act like a boy. Don't let the, the stereotypes of martial arts being, you know, all about uh, fighting and blood and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Don't listen to that. If you want to pursue it, find a good gym or a studio or a dojo um, and an art that you would like to uh, get into or at least um, see what it's like and don't stop until you find an art that resonates with you not the nearest dojo because too many people do yeah. that you know boys and girls too many people go oh I'm gonna you know enroll my child into this karate school because it's closer but you know what if little Jill doesn't like the closest karate school but saw the jujitsu school across town and said mom I want to do that yeah. Sure. You know, or, you know, something like that, you know, find an art that resonates with you that that speaks to you, because at that point, you'll know that you'll be able to stick with yeah. it. That's great advice. It really so, is. It's mm -hmm. find what's right for you. Find what's, what exactly. works for you. Kathy, how about you? What what little inspiring tidbit can you share with some of the, the women out there or anybody who's listening to the podcast? I'll, I'll piggyback a little bit on, on what Rusty said in that, you know, not only find a school that you feel is right or an art that is right for you, but find an instructor who respects and appreciates women and young girls for who they are and, and find an instructor who will inspire you to want to learn and to better yourself and to be the kind of person that you know you can be as well as a martial artist that you can be. And, and even push you, you know, beyond what you think your limits are and see that you and support you at the same time so that you can mm -hmm. see that you, you will get to the point where you want to be. And, you know, the limitations are only the ones you place on yourself. Right. And right. Exactly. That's great advice. And I appreciate it. I, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people who are listening, who are interested in 
in either getting better in their martial art or just trying one, at least they know that they can, they can do it. And they have the support of, of people like us who want to see them succeed. Um, mm-hmm. So with our few minutes left, um, when, Ristito, when is the Dynamic Dojo Talk TV podcast typically on, um, available on Facebook for people to stop and listen to? Uh, typically, Dynamic Dojo Talk TV airs on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. However, sometimes due to holidays or reschedules or what mm-hmm. have you, we might have it on a Saturday or any other days. Um, you, uh, once a month, we try to have what's called the, the uh, Dynamic Dojo Brunch Show okay. during, from 11, 11 a.m. Pacific to 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific. And it's, it's uh, a little more informal. It, it is supposed to be, for the brunch show, um, it's supposed to feel like grab a snack, yeah. grab a drink, you know, let's sit around the table and have some lunch and just share chit-chat for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That sounds great. So, and you both co-host that show. So it, it's really got so much mm-hmm. information and great topics. I watch it as much as I can uh, and I really enjoy it. So I definitely want to let everybody know that that's something they should listen to. So we are coming definitely to the, to the close here, but I just wanted to stop again and thank you both so much. You have so much experience, expertise, and knowledge as martial art women, you're great role models, as I said earlier. It's really important for me. The mission really of this podcast is to celebrate women, but also to encourage women to try martial arts and keep them involved in it. So it's, it's been really a wonderful and fascinating experience for me today. And like I said, I have so many more questions that I hope we can catch up again again soon. Absolutely. (laughs) I think it would be great. Yeah, let's definitely do it again. And Kathy and I would definitely like to have you on the show again, because it's been at least a couple of years since me and Bob actually had you on. Um, And we yeah, because we definitely want to promote the martial arts woman yeah, as well uh, and to have you talk about your books and, and your podcast and stuff yeah, like that. It so, will be fun. Yeah. Let's do that soon. So, mm-hmm. yes. Thanks again. You guys have a wonderful night and thank you so much for being on the Martial thank Arts Woman podcast. Thank you so much for inviting us. I'm, I'm very grateful.